Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, I was up late last night because we at my house were binging this show called The Accidental Wolf. Kelly O'Hara, who is the star of that show, is going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. And I was like, once I started, I'm like, I, I am, I'm going all the way through this thing. It was so suspenseful. It's, it's one of the greatest shows I've seen in a really long time. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll talk to Kelly about it, but I, yeah. I just found it to be like so addictive and I've never seen anything like it and it's tense in every single scene. I mean, it, it's really, really great. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up. Um, by the way, I, is the no eyebrow, I, I decide whenever anybody is coming on the show that is nominated or has won a major award and Kelly O'Hara seven Tony nominations and she won the Tony. So I, I thought I'm going to slick my hair back and not wear a ball cap when anybody has been nominated or won an award. But, you know, I shaved my eyebrow off for uh, a bet. And is it noticeable? Can you see it? You know, when, if you didn't bring it up, I probably never would have said anything. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I feel my, my uh, forehead feels naked. Yeah. And, and I just have to let you know that I've been nominated for an award and you wear your ball cap every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you were nominated for? I was nominated for the Osbournes and I was nominated for Top Chef. Emmy Awards, right? Emmy Awards, yes. I am a uh, three-time winner of the Bob Miller Award for Best uh, Los Angeles Broadcaster. Oh, it sounds like a car dealership. <laughs> yeah, no, Bob Miller, the legendary voice of the Los Angeles Kings. Ah, yeah, okay. his, he's the namesake. So I, I've got awards. Sometimes, someday I'll do the show in front of my awards case where I have all of my awards. <laughs> Just to brag to you. So if you're if you're listening and you listen to the show, and thank you, we see each other while we're doing the show and we see our guest, but we do an audio only show. And I was thinking we should actually do a video version of the show where people can see us if the guest agrees, and then we put it on YouTube afterwards. Everybody's doing that way. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. I mean, yeah, I, I may have to, you know, you know, kind of step up my uh, my game here. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just wearing a out of bed. <laughs> it's early for us. But you look like you really primped a little bit. Your hair looks very fancy. Yeah, I slicked back my hair. Exactly. Exactly. So um, let me see. You had something, right? What do you have? Well, you know, I, this is something that I think about a lot. You know, Tom, you know, said to me the other day that, you know, they had, had talked to, you know, an ex-girlfriend of his and, and I've known her over the years. I actually know her since we're kids. And I wanted to ask you, do you, have you, do you, or have you ever had issues with, um, when you're in a relationship, if your partner, uh, maintains a relationship with an ex? Oh, maintains a relationship with an ex. A friendship. No, I'm not, nothing sexual. Because I've got, I've gotten the casual. <laughs> let's see. I've gotten the casual from Juan. <laughs> this is so bad. He'll, we'll drive by a building. You say, I did a guy in that building. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh. But I mean, I, that's my world, right? That's right. That's the gay world. So for years and years, 
I was in business with my ex, uh, my movie theater business. And he was, you know, I ran the business and he ran the business. We ran it together. We hated each. Well, I, I won't say hate. We strongly disliked each other and argued all the time and fought all the time. So I was, he and I were not friends, but we worked together. Now I'll tell you a story. Not that long ago, one of my exes, and I've got probably too many of them, one of my exes, I was interested in reconnecting with because he uh, got married and had a kid. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm glad that worked out. In fact, it was my ex from when you and I were working together in New York. Oh, Todd, right? Yeah, Todd. He got, he, uh, they had a kid and I was like, oh, that's nice. I'd like to reconnect with Todd. He was always such a nice guy. And I, so I told Juan about it and he's like, F no, that's not cool. That's not cool. And, and what was his reason? Was it, I mean, he did, did he, he didn't feel like threatened, but he just didn't like the fact that. Just didn't, would... just didn't like the fact that I would reconnect with somebody like that. I already had just gotten over the other ex because uh, we sold the movie theaters and he's like, well, no, you're not getting uh, friend friendly with another ex. It was not threatening, but it's just felt, I guess, inappropriate. Huh. What about you? Um, you know, it was interesting because when I first started to date Tom, Kenny, you know, who was my boyfriend for like 16 years on and yep. off. Yeah. Um, Tom knew a lot of our history. So he, I think he felt, a, I don't know if it was really threatened, but he didn't like the idea in the beginning because I notoriously always went back with Kenny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I, I hadn't been with him in a couple of years at that point, which, which was the longest that we had ever been apart. So, I mean, there was no way in the world that I was ever, ever going to be with him again. And my, my feeling to him, you know, what, I, what I'd said to him is that, you know, if you're concerned about it, I mean, I look at it as, as me being somebody who is able to kind of make peace with someone that I had been with. Yeah. And if I still hated him and, and, and didn't want to have anything to do with him, I would be more concerned about that because then I'm still connected to him emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I have, I have no connection to him in that way anymore. You know, I said, I spent 16 years of my life with the guy. I'm very close with his family. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, his parents were like my parents and I just, and I was very close with his brother. So what, it I, didn't feel like resolved or whatever? Say that again? It didn't feel resolved? For me? Yeah. No, it wasn't even feeling resolved. It was just, we had a friendship. You know, he, you know, we were comics together. We, you know, he used to help me write jokes. Um, we just had a, we just had a bond that, that, you know, I always felt that Kenny was going to be in my life forever, no matter right. what happened with us. And I remember after he passed away, I had posted a bunch of pictures on Facebook, um, pictures of us and a girlfriend of mine, because, um, you know, we, we traveled a lot together. Yeah. And, and a friend of mine said, oh, God, that's so disrespectful to Tom. And I, ah. was, like, I was like, really? I said, do you really think then? She says, I think so. Um, but. I mean, Tom never said anything about it, you know, um, but I guess to me, it was my relationship with him was so innocent post, you know, being yes. in a romantic re relationship with him. Like I, I was so clear on, on what it was. Right. Um, 
And I said to him, you know, you know, you, you know, you're, you're friends with someone that you, you know, you had been busy. Oh yeah. He's still friends with her. Um, I mean, it was someone he was with when he was much younger, you know? Yeah. Right. uh, And, and I, I remember when, when we first started dating, she came to LA and stayed. I had just moved. Did I move in? I don't think I was even living with him at the, at the, at the time she came and stayed at his house and I was there and, um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't care. I mean, I, I, you didn't you know, care. No, no. Cause you know, I, I really trusted what we had. I didn't think that she was, I never felt that she was a threat and I really liked her. You know, I like, I knew her when we were younger. So anyway, but I know a lot of people it's like, no, that's a hard, fast rule. You cannot have any contact with anybody you had been with before. Right. Uh, you know, look, there, there have been times where I've been in a room with, um, Someone that like I had like a fling with, and you know, Tom has no idea who this person <laughs> is, and I wouldn't tell him. You know, I just yeah. there are just certain things that he doesn't need to know. Yeah, I think I would and, feel. Oh, you, know, I'm, you know, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Yeah, no, I, by the way, I hope listen. I hope one doesn't listen to this either. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, he's not weirdly. He does not listen to the podcast. You know, every now and then, we'll does be Tom home. listen? Well, every now and then we'll be home and um, I'll hear and it's like, is that Steve's voice? (laughs) And he's listening to something. Um, I don't know whether he just like randomly will listen to it or a friend of his will say, oh, I listened to, you know, Sue's podcast with Steve today and blah, blah, blah. And maybe he'll, you know, he'll he'll tune in. But I don't think he listens to it on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't either. My luck. This will be the one he'll listen to. (laughs) This will be the one. I'd rather he not listen, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because we, because uh, we say stuff here that's that's uh, that I wouldn't say like on the radio. I wouldn't necessarily say publicly. But you are saying it publicly. I am. I am saying it publicly. <laughs> but to me, you know, the people that know me from the radio hear stuff, and I, I'm pretty transparent. I say stuff that's you know I, I share about my life. But then this is sort of like bonus me. There's like yeah. extra the stuff I wouldn't say. On the radio, I put in here. Right. Bonus me. Bonus me. (laughs) So, uh, hey, let's get let's get to this because I'm so excited. Um, Our guest today is one of the greatest Broadway actresses ever, frankly. She is a seven time Tony nominee. She won the Tony for the 2015 revival of The King and I. And uh, in 2018, she was an Emmy nominee for The Accidental Wolf, and it is back now for season two. It is available to stream now exclusively on Topic. Kelly O'Hara is here. Kelly, thank you so much for doing this. We're excited to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So The Accidental Wolf, uh, Sue and I were both like wake awake late last night, binging it. It is so cool. A really cool, twisty thriller um, it, it's really, really addictive. We loved it. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. And I think you've done it right. The binge is the nice way to do it. The binge yeah. has to be done. Yes. Well, so you know, it's perfect. It's perfect about the show. Excuse me, Steve, is that it's so, it's so binge friendly because the episodes are short. Yes. So, so it's like, you're like, oh my God, it's over. Oh, I, I could watch like a hundred of these tonight. Good. Well, see, that's great. Then we'll make more. <laughs> so this is the story of a woman who gets a disturbing phone call. Actually, you you describe it. You you describe sort of this this character, Katie, and what happens with her. 
Well, you know, I think originally it started, you know, those emails or phone calls or whatever that you'd say, oh, I'm stuck in blah, 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 and I need this much money. And we realize they're scams. Yeah. Well, I get this phone call in the middle of the night, and we pretty quickly discover that my life is uh, somewhat lacking in some emotional uh, fulfillment. But at the same time, something seems very, very real and important on the other side of this phone call. And then there's a cliffhanger of what that was. Um, Personally, for me, uh, in the phone call, I hear the need of a a mother. And as a mother myself, the character Katie, um, that's what I clue into. And then the story begins. And it's sort of the idea of, you know, how far would you go for a stranger? You know, um, and also... Uh, living a purposeful life. Uh, what am I doing here? Is there some way I can be helpful in the world uh, that's that's better than doing what I've been doing? And I think she's a lost person who um, is starting to find a bit of backbone through this experience. Yeah, you know, um, so that there was never really a moment where where you thought, hmm, maybe we're being had. You were pretty much gung-ho from from the start. Well, I think um, if you go all the way back to the beginning, you start to see these, you know, she's not stupid. You know, I think that um, she definitely listens to the uh, advice of her, of her family, her husband. She's, she's been led. She's been living a life of a patterns that need to be broken. And yet something gnaws at her. And when she's being interrogated by the investigators, then why am I here? who are you? Like, how did you know? And she's starting to uncover things. So I think she probably is, there's no, there's no perfect uh, thing here. She's going back and forth. She's wavering. And yet she keeps getting a bite that says, wait a second. And then at some point, it's a combination of wanting to help someone and also being like, I'm right here. And I'm constantly told to, to stay in my lane, you know, and stop. Um, going forward. And, and at some point you say, no, wait a second, I'm going to do whatever the hell I think is right. And that's where she gets to. So Ariane Moyad, who uh, wrote and directed this, was actually on the show uh, a few weeks back talking about Succession because he plays Stewie on there. Um, he's a Broadway guy. Did you know him? Uh, is that how this project sort of came about? Well, we did. Um, it's, it's a great beginning because I was such a musical theater person and he was doing plays and um, we did King Lear together at the public and he had never seen me in a musical. I had never seen him in a play. And in fact, it goes back. He came up to me at, at, during King Lear and he said, we're going to be friends because he was nominated for Bengal Tiger for something. And I happened to be the person who read that category that year. Mm. This is before King Lear. And I, I wanted so badly to pronounce his name correctly. That did I, I do it right, by the way? Yes, you did. Ari okay, Moyad. good. Um, that I did it. And he said, I've never forgotten that. And when I read his name. And so King Lear, we became friends. He didn't know I was a singer or anything, but he's, I was playing Regan. And she's a, she's a you know, a B-I-T-C-H. And, um, and he just thought, I'm going to write something for this woman he told me he was going to. I said, okay, you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of say, sure. And then he did. And then we shot it. And um, everything he said he would do came true. And he gave me one of the, the greatest gifts because I have learned so much over these last many years. And, but the best part is I gained a, a, an amazing friendship with the guy. So I, I read an article that 
that you were in uh, the Daily Beast that you were interviewed and you talked a lot about um, racial equality and, and, you know, and, and gender too, women, you know, in, in show business. How important was it for you to do this role? Well, this is where the gift comes in, uh, in its, in its largest form. Um, you know, I've been making my living in musical theater and a lot in, in revivals and playing a certain kind of character because that's who I am and what I look like. Um, but I have so many feelings as an individual person um, outside of the craft that um, I would like to be part of, of bettering and a solution and part of the, the, the people that are being educated. I, I've been educating myself, but I have so far to go. And I, I want to be part of something that improves our community and our art. And um, he asked me in. He said, you know, come be part of the show. You know, he's an immigrant from Iran. He has a huge story to tell. So much of what is in Katie is part of his mother. Um, even though um, we are from different places, we both want to tell stories that um, unfold ideas for people to, to learn from. And, and to put me in the, in the middle of that and to let me work with such people like himself and Saw and Gauja and Marsha Stephanie Blake and and tell this particular type of story, um, I believe has just been a huge gift for me. And I've just been sitting and learning the whole time, you know, so many things. You know, the, the creepiest line in the whole thing for me is when Katie's psychiatrist says to her, men like their women medicated. medicated. And I was like, oh, that's so, that's so creepy. And, and it's a real thing, right? Oh my, of course it's a real thing. I mean, Judith Light plays an amazing, uh, just keep watching, <laughs> an amazing uh, example of that. And almost like right in front of my face to learn what not to do. Uh, we all know it. And we have all been there and we've all heard about it. Uh, it. It is. And it's one of those moments where you step up and you say, not me, not me. This just can't be me unless it's my choice, you know. Um, and at the time, this goes to tells you a little bit about how our process went. At the time, we weren't even sure when she said that. If you, if you look at the scene, with, um, that she kind of winks, and we weren't sure if she was writing me this prescription so I could use it and say, I have it, I'm doing this for you, and to appease the men in my life, to keep my daughter, to do anything for my child, or if she was really writing it. And I won't give anything away, but... Um, Jane Howdyshell is amazing. I just sat in those rooms, you know, pinched myself to be working with her. But as we, we, we learned as we went, as we shot it and, um, and then decided what it should be. Yeah, there definitely was a, a, such a creepiness, you know, kind of like a, like a gaslighting type of effect where, you know, everybody's is telling you one thing and you're seeing another thing. Yes. And, and it takes a person to dig deep and find their own strengths to really stand their ground, doesn't it? I mean, so many of us don't, don't really ever succeed at that. Um, when you have enough people influencing you, um, your truth changes and you have to dig deep and say, what is my truth? And boy, isn't that prescient right now? Um, what, what do I feel about all of these things, no matter what influences I have around me? And how far will I go to support that? And will I risk everything? And especially, you know, having a daughter and, you know, what was at stake for you, you know, the threat of, of having your daughter taken, taken away from you, or like you were saying how you want your daughter 
to be proud of your of of her mom that you know that your mom's doing the right thing. Listen, you got to find the nugget of truth of real truth for yourself, and it is the the mother daughter relationship in this that that was my sort of center point. Do you ever feel like because you are like the archetypical Broadway? female lead of all the great classical musical, all the classics. Do you ever feel like Katie and that you're sort of in some sort of uh, box to some degree? Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, as you say that as proud as I am, I am so proud of, of the chances in the career that I've, that I've had thus far in musical theater and never expecting any of it. But I think, you get to a certain point where you say, I have so much more to say. I really believe I do. And again, this goes back to listening to the voices around you say, oh, stay in your lane because you've been successful there. And to take the risks of, of doing something that's really, you'll have people walk up to you. And in, in fact, case in point, after King Lear, I had someone come up to me. I guess they came to see King Lear thinking they were going to get Nellie Forbush. <laughs> and they were really unhappy. They were like, well, I don't like you at doing this as much. And I... You say to yourself, well, I'm not an artist necessarily. Yes, I want to bring joy and I want to, I want to be an entertainer, but I'm also going through my own bits of catharsis through my art, my craft. I'm trying to find my own voice in the stories I tell. And I was given an opportunity with The Accidental Wolf to just go in deeper in somewhere else. And, and this is the thing about Ari and, and I meeting at King Lear. He didn't know, as I mentioned, he didn't know I was a singer he didn't put me in the, the same box that I had been in. And I wouldn't have had this opportunity from anybody else had it not been for some, some, something like that. I stumbled upon something that made me laugh so hard um, doing research <laughs> about you. And it was, the title was um, that you were auditioning for Bridges of Madison County. And I thought, this is so weird that they would have your audition oh. online and I'm watching it. <laughs> and how did this tell us about it? Because it made me laugh so hard. And there were specific things that, 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 you know, the casting people were like, like the douchiest people you could ever have. How did that happen? Well, you have to look at it. I believe it's called submissions only. It's a YouTube channel um, a show that was created before we all started putting video, you know, they've been around for a while. Um, submissions only. And I, I'm, it's a whole group of, of amazing f- comic actors. Um, and they, they get everybody from, we've all been in there, everybody. And, and if, especially if you've played a specific role, like they brought Renee Elise Goldsberry in from Hamilton and we're like, could you, <laughs> could you wrap this? And she does it perfectly. <laughs> they have Pippa in there. Can you sing uh, this song from Hamilton? And they're like, uh, I don't know about that, you know, and then they have her try it with, you know, with like a classical voice or something. So it's, it's actually, they got us in there and it's just such a fun day because we're told just play it straight, play it straight. And then they go to town on you. They're like, have you ever seen this musical? It's pretty, have you ever seen this score? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, I, I, oh really? Where did you see it? Cause it's, you know, they just act like you, comp- they don't know who you are. And then, you know, I'm 40 years old and they, at the end they said, you've got a future. You should stick around here. You know, um, good luck to you. Good luck. You're not right for this, but good luck to you. You know? Well, there was one thing where they asked you, uh, do you know where this takes place? And you were like, yeah, Iowa. And, and they were like, um, do you know where she's from? And you said, Naples, Italy. And the, one with the casting woman says, she's actually from Naples, Florida. Florida. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, when the casting people are, are, are so dense, done, you know, they're, they're, they don't know anything about it. Um, that's what makes it so funny. I mean, you can watch every sub- episode of, of uh, submissions only after you watch all of The Accidental Wolf. <laughs> so when I uh, was growing up, I wanted more than anything. And I'm a total Broadway nerd. I wanted more than anything to be a Broadway actor. That was like my dream in life. So when you were in high school, what was, first of all, you must have been just unbelievable. You must have been a natural, but what was your favorite? What was like the role in high school that you did that made you say, oh yeah, this is, this is my thing. Well, I moved. I mean, it was really hard. I moved when I was a junior in high school um, because my dad switched jobs and I thought, oh gosh, I'm, you know, I hate this. And I kicked and screamed going, but then they had this great theater program and the first musical they did was Carousel. And I was a mm. junior. And of course, I thought I wanted Julie, but I got Carrie. And I remember, um, of course, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, and I won't tell you that the musical that really sealed the deal for me was West Side Story because I shouldn't have played. I, you know, I, that was a long time ago. Um, but I played Carrie in Carousel. And I just, I had so much fun. We built all the sets. We did everything. And I thought, this is, I have just found my place, my people my place, uh, mm. in the theater world. And, um, and then we did other things. We did plays. And then of course, once I got to college, I was just, I was in it. Yeah. So, um, this has never happened to you. I promise. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Sue is going to laugh at this. So my moment in high school was, <laughs> was playing Henry Higgins in my fair lady. And you played Eliza Doolittle. And you're the first guest on the show who uh, has actually done that role. So I regularly, probably once every 10 shows, find a way to do a custom to her face on the show. So I, I want to do this for you right now. Okay. Damn, 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 damn. I've grown accustomed to a face. She almost makes the day begin. I've grown accustomed to the tune she whistles night and noon. Her smiles, her frowns, her ups, her downs are second nature to me now, like breathing out and breathing in. So I could do the whole song and torture you, but what what, what do you think? Do I, <laughs> do, do, I have, do I have a future in this at the, at the age of 56? It's never too late. It's, it's never too late. Actually, when, I think for me, it probably is. When, when I saw in your credits that you had done that, I had text Steve last night. And I said, <laughs> Kelly was in my fair lady and played Eliza Doolittle. Okay, uh, yeah. this is going to be fun. <laughs> I, I'll let you do it. Well, that that's a thrilling. I, I listened to it a thousand times. I will listen to it over and over again. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're singing eight shows a week, do you have to rest your voice? Like, are you on vocal rest the whole time or is your voice so good that you're like, no, I can just have regular conversations and all that stuff? No. Well, I do have regular conversations. It's not that it's so good. It's that I, I, I am proud of the technique that, that Florence Birdwell, my mentor, gave me. Um, but you have to understand, I'm not singing rock and roll. I'm not belting. I'm, I have a certain quality, a certain um, way that I sing for the most part. And I, I sing pretty healthily and I don't want to be in a, in a, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. I don't want to be in a world in which it all revolves around my work. Um, that just doesn't, for me, that's not a fun full life. And so if I had to be on vocal rest every day to do my show at night, I'd have to really sit down and, 
and ask myself if it was if it was worth it. So what I do instead is to try to adjust my performances in a way that keep me healthy. You know? what, what's your day like? You know, I, I did stand up comedy for a really long time. So if I had shows, you know, I had a certain kind of ritual, you know, I'd always take yeah. a nap at a certain time before the show. What's a day in the life of, of being on Broadway? Well, you'll be surprised to hear it because I certainly feel like I, well, I get very much in a, in a schedule. It just helps me. But before I had kids, obviously I could sleep until 10 or whatever I wanted to do. And definitely, you know, exercise, get my body moving, do whatever else I had to do work-wise, um, get there at a certain hour before the show to, to get myself made up, but do some yoga and really stretch my body and warm up a little bit. But it was more about warming up my body and my mind, just calming down to prepare for a show. But after I had kids, waking up at 6.30 to get them to school, racing around, maybe catching a nap if I could, but it became so hectic. And I swear to you, that's when I became a better performer. Hmm. I just didn't have time to, to obsess about the must-haves. I had to just get it done. And when you do that, you release some sort of pressure on yourself. You know, I think when you do have a set schedule, you think, if I don't do it this way, it'll mess up. Well, when you get used to doing it a different way every night, you start to trust yourself a little bit more. How's Broadway doing? I mean, I, I'm going in March. I'm going to mm-hmm. see some shows. Um, I, you know, I, I usually get there like on a Wednesday and see six shows before I, I go. Um, how is Broadway doing and is it going to bounce back from all this stuff? It absolutely will bounce back. I mean, in the, in the long term, we're in the middle of this really, really long two-year thing. In the long term, whatever it is, whatever amount of time it is, won't seem like this is what I keep telling myself, won't seem like that much, although it's been devastating, financially devastating, emotionally devastating. Um, But it absolutely will be back with a vengeance. And the way it has come back now, um, it's really taught people a lot about, you know, their worth, uh, you know, the the understudies, the covers, how, how important a team is, how important everyone in the cast is and crew um, to make these things happen. Um, and because when you lose them, when they were dropping like flies and still are at the end of December and continuing, yeah. um, everybody's at the top of their game. I mean, I know personally, we went to see Mrs. Doubtfire and they were doing split tracks. And one of my friends who was one of the swings was literally doing split tracks, uh, doing one guy's part here, running off stage, doing another guy, Wow! you know, and it was seamless. I I had no idea from the outside. And that's what audiences can expect from Broadway level work. Um, It is incredible and it is magical and it is not going anywhere. We just have to do the things we have to do to get through this really awful time. And I can't tell you financially how that happens. I can only tell you that we, the artists and the, the crew and stuff, we're, we're, not, not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been great. Uh, thank you for suffering through my Henry <laughs> no, Higgins. I loved it. <laughs> uh, you're amazing on this show. It's called The Accidental Wolf. Both season one and season two are now streaming exclusively on topic. Kelly, thanks a lot. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to talk to you. Yes. My Henry Higgins getting an excellent review from Tony Award winner Kelly O'Hara. Wow, wow, wow. So you can maybe get like, you know, a faux um, Tony (laughs) from her. Yeah, faux Tony. Best (laughs) performance on a podcast.
that was so I was so going to do that. You know, I was so going to do that. Oh, well, did you know that she had played Eliza Doolittle? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Hell yeah. Because when I saw that, I was laughing. I was telling Tom, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Hold hold on to your seats. (laughs) (laughs) I guess she's doing a bunch of interviews right now for the Accidental Wolf. I guarantee you that's the only time somebody will sing to her on the show. Yeah, and 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 to, uh, you know, in a role that uh, that she <laughs> that she, she, that she, she was portrayed. nominated for a Tony for, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, she, so she was nominated for a Tony for everything she's ever done. Yeah, seven times. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And she no, won she, for the King and I. The King and I. Yeah, I didn't see the King and I. I saw South Pacific. She was fantastic in uh, South Pacific. It was at Lincoln Center, which is a really cool place to see a show too. So, um, all right. Well, look, uh, we want to thank Jacob Imrani, who is the guy who makes all of this stuff happen for us. It's a new year. It's 2022. Hopefully it's off to a good start, but you never know. Something can happen. Somebody rear ends you. Somebody sideswipes you. uh, You get into any kind of accident. You want somebody who's a pro. You want somebody who has been doing this. Not not for five years, not for how about for 25 years in Los Angeles and in Southern California. You want Jacob from Ronnie. And the thing is, it's complicated when you get into an accident because you got to deal with your insurance company, their insurance company. You got to find a way to get to a doctor really fast if you're injured. Uh, you got somebody to do all the paperwork. Jacob and his team will do all of that for you. They will make it easy. They will take the hassle out of this for you. And ultimately, Ultimately, Jacob and Ronnie will get you the justice that you deserve. So if you are injured in any kind of accident or it's you or it's your wife or kid or friend at work, remember Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB, 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle. First time I'm singing two times on the show. Singing two times. Sing it as Henry Higgins. Twice the singing accident or injury call jacob and ronnie call Call jacob 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 (laughs) Jacob. all right there you have it hey look if you're listening please uh, take a minute subscribe to the show uh we do uh goofy stuff all the time have really interesting people uh you can subscribe on apple Podcasts or on spotify uh feel free to leave a rating and a review we always love it when you do that for us uh sue Great seeing you. You too. We've been doing a lot of these now. It's New Year. We've been doing a bunch of them. It's fun. Yeah, let's crank them out. Yeah, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.